Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb, and I'm Julie Douglas. In this podcast, we're gonna we're gonna start off by asking you to, to take a journey with us, and uh, I want you to imagine yourself lost amid an apocalyptic wasteland, mm-hmm. scorched earth, pyramids of bone, hollowed out cities silhouetting the horizon against a dim red sun. You're starving. You're weak. You're stumbling through the remnants of civilization, and then you trip over something. Mm-hmm. You, you fall. Maybe you skin your knee. You hardly notice because you're so hungry. And when you uh, get up on your, uh, your your feet again, you start looking around. You start sifting through the ashes, and you find a hatch, and you open it, and you crawl down through the dark. And at the bottom of this twisting tunnel, you find this massive storeroom. It's filled with shelves and shelves of these strange jars, and you you luckily you have a light on you, uh, one of these windy deals. Uh, of course, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because other, you, know, you can't find batteries. Mm-hmm. Uh, Plus, you had your preparedness kit. Yeah, you, you yeah. had you had some uh, some supplies in store. Mm-hmm. So you you crank up your little flashlight and you uh, you notice that the labels have all worn away, so you can't read what's in them. But you can see through the glass that they all contain dark shapes and murky liquids. Mm-hmm. You've uh, you found pickled and fermented food items. All right, then this makes your stomach turn a little. Right, uh, it makes it makes your stomach turn, and yet that anvil in your stomach that keeps beating away, uh, you know, this hunger, right, pangs. He's like, gotta eat, gotta eat. Says, could it be sauerkraut? Yeah, but then you notice movements in the corner of the storeroom, on the shelves, across the ceiling, and you realize the place is crawling with insects, delicious, nutritious insects. Yes, big, lovely, fattened cockroaches, specifically. Yeah. What do you do? Yeah, which which uh, are you going to feast on? You, you have a choice here. You can start cracking open some jars, and uh, and and you, even in your state, you probably realize that th- this is maybe all the pickled items left in the world. Mm-hmm. So you can't just start opening until you find something right. If you open a, can- a, a jar, you're probably going to need to go ahead and eat what's in that jar. That's right. Yeah, you have to be smart about this. Be smart about it. Likewise, uh, you've got all these bugs. You're just going to have to. I mean, which ones can you eat? Which ones should you eat? Which ones are going to taste good? Do you have time or or the energy to to be choosy about it? And this is what we're going to do today. We're going to walk you through this wasteland and help you to make this choice should you ever have to face some sort of apocalypse and be faced with uh, just fermented items, fermented by bacteria, right? Right. Uh, like sauerkraut or a, a lovely juicy caterpillar or, uh, I don't know, cicada, roach. What have you, yes. Yeah. And all the benefits of this, by the way. I mean, actually, we, we uh, kind of turn our noses up about that here in in the Western world, but this is not so unusual in other parts of the world. These these food items, right? These in, in the same way that we're talking about them in a sort of postmodern uh, society uh, food choice situation, they are also a huge part of our culinary past. I think we touched a little on this in our previous yeah. uh, food episodes. Uh, a- Ancient foods, I mm-hmm. believe, was the title of it. At, at some point, we were hungry and we looked around and we found bugs. At some point, we were we were hungry and realized we needed to stick. Um, away uh, some food for the hard times, mm-hmm. and we uh, discovered uh, what pickling, what fermentation was all about. Yeah, and oftentimes by accident, right? I mean, if mm-hmm. you put honey water out, it's uh, eventually going to ferment into mead. Right. A good, mm, tasty um, carafe of mead, right? Yeah, also beneficial for apocalyptic survival. Yeah, why not? Daily basis, why you know? not? Um, so basically what we're talking about is remaking your food with microbes. Right. And this is already done to some extent. We just don't think about it. Chocolates, wine, cheese, those are all products of fermentation. Uh, but of late, there have been fermentation activists uh, in, a, in a wider food underground movement extolling the joys of bacteria. 
Now, uh, when it comes to pickles, let me just touch base there uh, real quick about the, um, the the two basic types of pickling. They're essentially two categories. The mm-hmm. first involves items preserved in vinegar, uh, which is a strong acid in, uh, in which few bacteria can survive. Right. Um, so you think of things like bottled kosher uh, cucumber pickles at the supermarket, that sort of thing. And then you have this other category uh, where things are soaked in a salt brine that encourages fermentation and the growth of this good bacteria mm-hmm. that we're talking about. Uh, it makes the food less vulnerable to bad spoilage-causing bacteria. Right. So um, more uh, common examples of this would be like kimchi uh, and cucumber dill pickles. Sauerkraut. Sauerkraut's a big one. Right. And this this is really important to you to think about this type of fermentation because although it does uh, allow bacteria to thrive, it's anaerobic conditions. Mm-hmm. So it's it's thriving. Actually, I should say this. Pathogens that could be really uh, horrible for us if we ate them are stopped in their tracks because it is an anaerobic environment. So mm-hmm. there's no oxygen for those sort of pathogens to like listeria. Right. For instance, um, to actually cultivate onto this food source. So what you get are the good bacteria growing onto, say, like sauerkraut. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got the bad bacteria dying away. Yeah, it's placed in, a, in an artificial environment. Mm-hmm. Because if it were in the authentic env- environment, it would quickly be consumed. Right. Uh, it, would, it would rot. It would decay. But you, um, if you took some sauerkraut, you salted it, mm-hmm. put a jar on it, or a top on the jar, and let it sit there for, you know, 17, 18 days, all of a sudden you have this really good, nutritious food that is preserved for many, many months, sometimes years. Right. And and the the important thing here is that this all emerges uh, from a time when there was no uh, refrigerator to stick things in. There was yeah. uh, f- preservatives in your food. Uh, and it was just not happening. Yeah, uh, this so, is the precursor to cold storage. Yeah, yeah. And so we end up with, I mean, this is where you get like chutneys in India, miso pickles in Japan, um even uh, um, uh, well, pickled herring in Scandinavia, corned beef in uh, in Ireland, various salsas in Mexico, pickled pig's feet in the United States. Um, one that I always find mm. interesting: the the century egg or uh, pidan uh, of China, mm-hmm. the, uh, an often hundred year old egg that's pickled and all. Um, when when my family lived in uh, Roddickton, Newfoundland, Canada, mm-hmm. uh, when my dad worked for uh, he worked for Grenfell Health up there as a dentist, uh, there was a the the various uh, health personnel there. They were kind of from all over the world. So like like we were from the U.S. Uh, there was you know there was a doctor from India. There were doctors from uh, from various places in Canada. There was a guy from Scotland, and then there was Doctor Lowe. Uh, and uh, Dr. Lowe uh, was uh, was of Chinese extract, and he had uh, he had one of these eggs, mm-hmm. and he would always try. He would he would he was it was really big on trying to convince my my father to eat this egg. He was like, "You should come over and have the egg sometime," and uh, and 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 my dad was like, "All right, maybe I'll try." And he's like, "But you you can you have to eat it while I'm here. You have to eat it while I'm present." Like he didn't want. He's like, "A doctor needs to be present while you eat this egg." Was his argument, but really, yeah, I don't know. He, he, he may have been kidding around. But I that, was about to say, and this is this really a hundred year old egg? I don't know if it was really a hundred years old mm-hmm. because I don't know how he would have. Um, obtained it there. Like he would have, I guess, had to have, have brought it with him because Roddick to Newfoundland didn't have like a huge Chinese grocery by any stretch of the right. imagination. It had a crab plant and a small. Well, in generations of, of, of people in his family would have preserved it and passed it down, right? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Or, he was, or it was just egg. an egg that he boiled and it was all a joke. I think so. But, but my point is that you see pickling traditions in, in all these different cultures mm-hmm. and it becomes at, at, at least at, um, a part of their culinary tradition, to varying degrees, depending on the, the culinary history. Right, right. 
And again, fermentation, um, you know, largely accidental in the beginning, but the alcohol and acids can preserve fruit and grains for months, mm-hmm. like I said. And it also changes the flavor. It changes and it yeah. can change some of the properties. So, you know, in general, it's pretty safe. Again, you know, talking about how the anaerobic conditions will stop pathogens in their mm-hmm. tracks. So botulism, uh, no big deal, right? I mean, sauerkraut really is something that you could make and it's, it's going to be completely fine to eat, you know, 10 months later. Um, and you know, it's not just sauerkraut. We're talking about yogurt, not necessarily yogurt 10 months down the road. Um, but sourdough bread, mead, sausages, kimchi, as you mm-hmm. mentioned, some Scandinavian fish are oh, actually prepared like, this way. There's the uh, the hackerel, uh, for instance, the poisonous ice shark. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, if you eat it uh, fresh, uh, it's poisonous. But if you let it putrefy for uh, six weeks, fermenting, mm. and then it becomes uh, something uh, altogether different, uh, which sometimes it's called the pea shark because it has a slight um, ammonia or urine smell. Which just, I mean, again... Come on, guys. You, you've got it in a jar. It's the uh, post-apocalyptic scenario. You, you can't get uh, too uppity about it. Yeah, I actually know a guy who, uh, a, a friend of mine who uh, works for a gaming company. They had uh, some people bring in a bunch of these uh, survival foods. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I mentioned this before, but but he actually tried uh, the pea shark, and he said it wasn't. It actually wasn't that bad. Um, and neither was the p- pickled whale, uh, whale blubber. He said that was actually pretty good too. Um, but uh, but it was, it was other things that were a little grim. But the, yeah. the pickled uh, sea life, not so bad. Well, and this is a delicacy, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to understand, uh, if you're in this culture, you're probably going to have more of an affinity for it. And not only that, when we talked about, I, I can't remember if it was when we were talking about the sea urchins, uh, but we found out that there was a uh, bacteria particular to Japanese people who can break down seaweed right? Uh, that, that we lack here, say, in the United States. Right. A lot of it comes down to the whole argument that we are cities of bacteria. Yeah. That we are the, we are creatures of bacteria, and uh, and the the whole idea of of eliminating bacteria from our bodies uh, can can be harmful at times. Where mm-hmm. there's a there's a careful balance in there. We've talked about the gut flora before. Yeah. Um. And uh, and that's actually it actually plays a big role in people who advocate not pickled only diets, not sauerkraut only mm-hmm. diets, but diets that include these uh, these traditional uh, fermented items. Yeah, yeah. And just to bring up the stat again, we are made up of one trillion cells and host ten trillion bacterial cells. So the great majority of DNA in us is actually bacterial and not human. Um, now consider that it takes four years for your gut flora to recover after a round of antibiotics, mm-hmm. and you can see why restoring good bacteria your body is so important to your immune system and you think about fermented vegetables and they actually contain natural populations of lactic acid bacteria and this is the kind of bacteria that we see in pro and prebiotics that help maintain our health and our guts Um, and again as you say it regulates our overall health and in some uh, cases it actually can help your mental state. We know that your gut produces chemicals that trigger sleep Mm -hmm. and um and certainly we know that the serotonin is released by your gut, right? Yeah. Uh, so this is interesting. This is from the article Nature Spoils by Burkhart Bilger. Yeah, uh, this is great. This was in New Yorker. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if you look it up online, I think you have to have like a membership to get the full version. Yeah, it's behind but, a paywall, but yeah. it's probably worth it if, if this is a um, topic that's really intriguing right. to you. And they also have an audio file available. So when you're right. not listening to this podcast... Uh, 
check it out. Switch they, on over yeah, to, yeah. to New Yorker for a moment. Uh, but one of the people that uh, Bilger interviews says there's no such thing as an individual. And this is coming from Lynn Margulis, and she's a professor of biology at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. Mm-hmm. And she says, what we see as animals are partly just integrated sets of bacteria. Right. I mean, we're just, we're bacter bots. We're, we're like corporations, really. Yeah, yeah, we're just we're just hosting. I yeah. mean, that's it's very interesting when when you start to break it down that way to see the ways in which we um, move through the world. I mean, how much of that is directed by bacteria? How many of the choices that we make are directed by bacteria about the stuff that's going on in our guts? Yeah. You know, when we feel an emotion or we feel a drive to do something, a lot of that is predicated on on the wellness factor of right. our guts. And in fact, uh, this is such an interesting. Uh, feel that there is a second human genome project going on and they're trying to map all the thousands of bacteria in our bodies. So instead of focusing on pathogens, um, as they've done in the past, they're mm-hmm. really trying to focus on the symbiotic relationship that we have with bacteria. Yeah, we've discussed this uh, in, in various levels in the past. The idea that, that these things in our lives, these, these bacteria, uh, on up to uh, parasitic organisms, uh, these are things we have co-evolved with. So we have, we have uh, evolved over time to exist with them mm-hmm. in some, in varying levels of symbiosis. Uh, I mean, that's another thing, just the, the realization that the idea of parasite and non-parasite is, is not so cut and dry in some cases. There's all, there's right. all this gray area of symbiosis where in some cases it's a little more one-sided than others, you know? Well, and we've talked about parasite therapies before yeah, yeah. too. The, of course, this is not a DIY <laughs> project for anybody at home. But there is some evidence uh, coming out of medical community that parasites can help in some instances. Um, but like, I just wanted to go back real quick to, again, something like sauerkraut and the fact that it does have that lactic acid bacteria. But not only that, um, there's a bunch of other nutritious elements to it, enzymes, bacteria, that are being created because of the fermenting process. Right. Uh, so you could get things that are really rich in vitamin C, uh, you know, according to this process. Um, the problem, though, of course, comes when you take a, a really great idea like this and you extend it to, you know, it's the nth degree, right? Mm-hmm. So you take this idea of symbiosis and you say, ah, oh, it can be beneficial for humans. And then you try to apply it to say something like, Raw meat. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, you're talking about high meat, of course. High meat. And not high as in cannabis, but high as termed by Eskimos who um, have used caribou and seal. Uh, oh, yes. Raw seal. Not just as something that's nutrition for them, but also as a cultural artifact. Uh, yeah. And in fact, apparently, and this is according to the uh, the article um, that we were talking about in The New Yorker, said, uh, it said that they uh, believe that a regular serving of decayed heart or liver can have a, quote, tremendous Viagra effect on the elderly. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, this is also I, I'm, this fact here uh, is coming to the author of that uh, from a man by the name of Anjonas uh, Voderplantz, mm-hmm. who is the, uh, the his whole big idea was the primal diet. Yeah. And uh, yeah. and I think we've discussed in the past how there are a lot of uh, concerns with, with with any well, with any crazy diet that comes along the path, because right. they tend to be uh, they tend to be somewhat on the extreme edge of something like. For instance, a sauerkraut diet, I said you wouldn't want to diet of just sauerkraut, but doing a search for sauerkraut diet just out of curiosity did turn up some results. Like, you know, somebody's oh, yeah. going to advocate it. So this guy in particular, he was like, high meat, uh, it's, it's good for you. It's part of our evolutionary past. We're going around, we're occasionally eating the, uh, rotten carcass here and mm-hmm. there. So, and, and, and our body needs that. It's like a nice kick in the face from, uh, 
the bacterium world. That's right. That the the idea that we evolved with bacteria and parasites. So therefore, it must be good for us to eat some rotten meat with parasites every once in a while. Right. That's actually probably not such a great idea. Right. Turns out, and that's what's been extrapolated from this whole symbiosis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I just can't. I mean, I can't get this image of like what those commercials would be. <laughs> for for like this Viagra of of rotten meat, you know, like you always see the guy golfing in the commercials with mm-hmm. Viagra. I mean, I'm just trying to imagine how they're going to roll that out with a uh, with seal meat or a rotten caribou. Uh, you know, yeah. well, you know, we, we've we've touched on examples in the past. Like we mentioned uh, uh, in the ancient foods, we mentioned kiviak, the Greenlandic tradition yeah. of uh, of of catching all the little birds, tiny birds, the tiny birds, and then uh, you uh, you put them in a seal skin and you just hold, just like like after you've. you've Catch them, snap their little necks, take them home in a sack, stuff them in the seal uh, skin, get all the air out, mm-hmm. and then bury it under rocks and let it let them ferment in there. Right now, you know that's there's that. Um, but you've got the fermenting process. You, you, so you're killing a, you the, do have the a fermenting process there, even though essentially yeah. you have just birds in a sack of skins mm-hmm. under some rocks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on the surface, it looks very similar to, hey, I found some dead birds. Let's chow down. Uh, but, but no, uh, but, but there, but there is a chemical process going on. Yeah, it turns yeah. out you do need to convert some of the foods that you eat to make them palatable um, and digestible. So, yeah, I mean, this this is all part and parcel of these underground food movements that are taking hold right now. Uh, but this was from the article that 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 actually there are scent molecules that have been identified with decaying meat. And these are the sort of scent molecules that usually send warning signs to our brain, right? Like, don't mm-hmm. eat this. Um, they've been identified as cadaverine and putrescine. Of course, that's after putrid and putrescence. So, I mean, just that alone makes you think, perhaps I, I you know, if those are the, the molecules those are emitting <laughs> and that's what we're calling them, perhaps I should not eat any high meat. Yeah, well, I, I, don't know. I certainly have not, uh, to my knowledge, had any high meat. Um, I may have had a questionable uh, sandwich in the past but uh but it was by not, accident by right? accident but yeah. it was not advertised as high meat no no um, but uh but certainly i would love to hear from anybody who has so yeah so, so now if you go in a cafe and you see high meat you know yeah 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 it's not it doesn't mean it's just boar's head or something or uh, some sort of artisan cut or you know cannabis yeah. laden well let's move away from all these strange murky jars and their fermented secrets uh, and uh, and start looking at the insects crawling around this place as well. Let's. Uh, <laughs> That's the sound of the roaches crawling all over the table right now. Excellent. Well, which ones of these guys should we eat? Let's uh, let's discuss. Hmm. Okay, so we're talking about entomophagy, right? The practice of eating insects, including arachnids and myriapods, which are centipedes, our little friend centipedes. Um, and and here's you know a newsflash if you don't know about this already. If you are eating processed foods, you are eating bugs. Oh, yeah, it's just, yeah. It's just a fact. The FDA has an acceptable level of insect fragments in all canned and boxed goods. Oh, yeah. So, like, for instance, uh, take uh, figs, whether you're talking about fresh figs or, uh, or a lovely fig-based uh, cookie cake item. Um, fig newtons? Well, there are various fig based that's one of them but mm-hmm. uh, but you can i mean you can also just get a baked like fig cake uh fig wafer thing at uh, at most bakeries oh uh, yeah. yeah wink wink nudge nudge yeah yeah but they uh, you're going those are likely to contain uh, fig wasps just because they're uh, the the fig itself uh depends on these tiny little wasps that have to go in and take care of the uh, the pollination so uh i mean you have that you have just bugs showing up in uh, in any kind of agricultural crop mm-hmm. um 
it's just going to happen. You're going to eat some bugs. Yeah, and then just during the process too. Uh, that sometimes the canning and the and the. Um, oh, I think the, like the eating process. Like no, you're, like you're going to get some fly-ins. With, yeah, yeah, you know, sometimes I just start buzzing around and I start munching. Uh, but no, I mean in the process themselves, I mean that there's there's a food item. There are you know little microscopic bugs all over, mm. plus the ones that we can see, and they're going to get in there and chow down as well. Right, and then uh, it is in terms of just the evolution of man. People have had to eat, and if, if you're looking around for things to eat, bugs are everywhere. I mean, it's basically right. we're we're it's essentially an insect planet when you start breaking down some of the numbers, um, and and for the most part, we don't uh, you know especially here in the states, we don't think about about eating the bugs. But it, the next time you're on a summer day, and just look around you and and just take in the bugs, especially on a nice uh, cicada afternoon just listen <laughs> yeah. to the uh, because we we mentioned on that podcast i uh-huh. believe about the cicadas that these are tasty guys um or or the next time you're out doing a little work in the yard and you're digging in the dirt uh, and you come across some grubs just i mean look we grubs are such amazing um like nuggets of of nutrition because because these are anytime you have like a a, a larva or pupa situation this is this is an animal loaded down with the goods to get it through this stage of its life so it's just a it's just a, a a very nutritious morsel. Yeah, and then think back to the past. I mean, this is this was uh, eating good in the neighborhood, right? I mean, yeah. if you had some locusts and honey, you were living life pretty large. Uh, so it makes sense that this would be a really good source of protein for us. And in fact, in uh, a lot of Southeast Asian countries, mm-hmm. this is not just a delicacy, but something that you would eat all the time, right? This is street food in some places. Right, yeah, like um, various food shows have wound up on the streets of Bangkok with somebody yeah. going to a, a food cart and eating insects out of a cart. And they're generally, it's generally done for kind of like a gross out factor, unless it's like Anthony Bourdain, who tends to, to really get on a high horse about traditional um, quote-unquote peasant food. And, yeah, and, and he has actually eaten seal meat uh, yeah. with Eskimos before. Oh, cool. FYI, yeah. Uh-huh. So watch out for Bourdain after he's had the, the seal meat. Mm-hmm. But um, when I was in Bangkok uh, several years back, my wife and I were actually looking around, hoping to find the cart with the. Uh, <laughs> the but I mean, it's it with the, with the insects. But it's very confusing out there on the streets, uh, looking around at the different carts, and eventually you just really get kind of a an overload uh, decision fatigue kind of a thing. And then, yeah, and you yeah, can't suss yeah. out the crickets. Yeah, but I wish we'd found it because I really wanted to try them. I'm I'm not opposed to to eating the uh, the insects, especially when it's uh, part of a. Uh, uh, some sort of a, a culinary tradition. Well, I mean, and again, it's not that weird. Uh, yeah, it's it just not seems, at all. Not seems at all. odd to us. But what we're talking about here is some huge health benefits. Yes. Um, the average insect contains 70% protein. Exactly. Yeah. 10% omega-3, 5% minerals, and 5% sugar, and 2% fat. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, this is, this is a great source of energy right here. Uh, different insects have different health benefits with varying amounts of calories, fat, and carbohydrates. For instance, for instance, excuse me, 100 grams of crickets contain 121 calories and they're chock full of calcium and iron, uh, while our little caterpillar friends, uh, before they become lovely butterflies. We deprive them of that unfurling of their wings. They have 28 grams <laughs> of uh, protein per 100 grams, and they're also a good source of vitamins B1 and B3. Yeah, well, the I mean, the butterflies yeah, is not, not going to be nutritious. It's that caterpillar you want. It's kind of like if you yeah. wanted to hijack a space shuttle for its fuel, you wouldn't want to get the space shuttle in orbit. You would want to get it uh, when it has uh, all the external tanks on it. Before right it drops its payload. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's the payload you want. You yeah. want to harvest that payload because the payload is energy. It allows this organism to change from one state to another. And as carnivore, well, as omnivores, rather, um, 
we are saying, hey, I want that payload. Let me have that energy. Because, I mean, it, it, we've discussed before, pretty much at every level, um, to eat on this in this planet, and to consume energy mm-hmm. is to steal energy unless you happen to practice photosynthesis. And even the most devote uh, vegans and vegetarians I know do not practice photosynthesis yeah. themselves. Yeah. And blame our drain. Or blame our drain. <laughs> blame our brain yeah. for the energy drain, actually. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Talked about that because it needs a lot of uh, energy. So that's why we have to go after this. Um, and that's why our forebearers had to do it. Uh, so let's talk about this. There are uh, 1,417 species of edible insects and nearly 3,000 ethnic groups that currently practice entomophagy. And uh, most of these insects are eaten in the larval and the pupal stages, mm-hmm. um, though some are, are pretty good, for, you know, all the way into adulthood, right? Nice little cricket. And topping the list of edibles is the beetle with 344 varieties, ants and wasps with 314 varieties, and then butterflies, they do make the list, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Even huh. though, even though they're the, I think, all flash, no flesh. Yeah. Uh, moths. Grasshoppers and crickets. Well, I can see moths. They're a little fatter, and I've seen the cat eat them, so they must be <laughs> yeah. good. That's funny. I'll ca- I actually call my cat Renfro because he loves a good spider web full of uh, flies oh. and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> um, I actually have a quick recipe here for anybody interested. I found this uh, on a, a Nova article about bugs you can eat, um, which has, has a number of different, uh, like from Australia, China, uh, et cetera. But, uh, this one was for grasshopper tacos mm-hmm. from Mexico. And this is all you need. A half pound of grasshoppers, two cloves of garlic minced, one lemon, a little salt, two ripe avocados mashed, and then six tortillas, uh, corn or flour. So you, d- you just, uh, roast the medium sized gra- grasshoppers for 10 minutes in a 350 degree, uh, oven. Then you, uh, toss in the garlic, the, uh, the lemon, salt to taste, spread the mashed avocado on the tortilla, and then sprinkle on the grasshoppers. You, but, you know, there you go. It's and I was just thinking, too, simple. that if you didn't have time to cook, another advantage is you just get on your bike or your motorcycle and just open your mouth <laughs> for a couple miles. Well, it's, well, I think the cooking is a little a little different. I, I was trying to dress it up here, and then you turn it back into riding around on a motorcycle eating live bugs. Well, I'm just saying <laughs> that if you're on the go, I mean, you don't need fast food. Yeah. Right? I mean, the fast food is available to you just within mere seconds. That's another thing that comes to mind. Fast food. Like, I, I see people... Eating fast food. And I, I hope I don't come off too judgy here, but you see some of the things that people are eating mm-hmm. and you're like, that is so fried. Like it's just been fried to death. Like they could have fried a chicken wing and then removed the chicken wing and just sent you and just served you the shell. Like it could be anything at the middle of that fried bundle of goo that you just purchased in a styrofoam container. So why not bugs? Okay. You know? So, and, and that's, <clears throat> that's a good place to talk about, you know, why we don't go ahead and cultivate bugs on a large scale, right? Okay. Um, you know, besides some of the, the cons here of, you know, like don't pick any poisonous bugs or toxic right. bugs, right? It's a pretty good idea to use bugs as, as a sort of, um, mini, um, or micro farming, uh, system for us. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because you don't need the land, you know, that, that we need with livestock. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need the equipment, like the huge factory equipment is, is, is really pricey. Um, and, and this is really easy to, also you don't have the, the veterinary medicine. Right. Um, and, and all the antibiotics that go along with it. 
Yeah, you're, and you also don't have to worry about naming a cricket before you eat it, you know? Uh, well, that, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Although if you it have depends, like a thousand millipedes, yeah. it's probably gets, uh, probably not naming them well, so much. Well, I, I have also read uh, data before talking about the food costs of uh, exploring other worlds mm-hmm. with human space exploration. And those frequently come back yeah. around the idea of uh, using insects uh, for your protein. Yep, yep. Just because it's less space. Like try and raise a cow on uh, a spaceship versus raising some millipedes. It's going to favor the millipede. Right. Or if we ever established ourselves on another planet, right, Right. um, you would probably not be able to harvest lettuce and and cows and so on and so forth. But, hey, just bring some, you know, larva with you and probably have some success. Um, Actually, 100 pounds of feed produces 10 pounds of beef. Mm -hmm. The same amount of feed would produce more than four times that amount in crickets. Wow. And that's just the feed. So we're not talking again about the land, which is getting pretty scarce for us and so on and so forth. Um, so I don't know. There's a, there's an argument there uh, that perhaps this is going to be a sustainable food source for us in the future, mm-hmm. just as fermented foods may be. Yeah, I, I, I tend to imagine that we as a people, uh, more or less talking about like U.S. Uh, you know, audience, audiences here, uh, that we could... I think we could get past the bug thing, get past the eating bug thing. I mean, because look at some of the stuff we already eat. I mean, we're already eating shrimp. Well, in, in many ca- many of us are eating shrimp. Many well, of us are crustaceans, eating crustaceans, arachnids. And, yeah. yeah, right. So yeah, they're bas- they already look basically the same. And we're eating the, higher lobster, organisms. spiders of the yeah. sea, right? Right. And we're eating higher organisms. We're eating cuter organisms. And mm-hmm. we're, we're eating plenty of animals that... That look uh, gross. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I think we could get over that, that, that mental barrier to, to eating bugs uh, rather quickly. Well, and as we discussed in the Don't Eat the Panda episode, we have this this uh, moral distancing that we use through semantic distance, right. distancing. So we use certain words to kind of give us some space from what the actual item is or right. to change that definition of what that thing is in our mind. Right. For example, the grasshopper tacos versus Driving around with your mouth open because <laughs> the grasshopper t- that sounds good. If you that I would well, eat that right Well, you got me now. with the garlic there. Yeah. Well, yeah, and then avocado. You put avocados in anything, it's going to be good. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I will say that I was like, ah, I don't know. I'm a vegetarian, but perhaps this is something that I could do, uh, particularly if I'm in a post-apocalyptic situation. Well, let's get back to the post-apocalyptic situation then. Which are you going to choose? If you have to choose between those those jars of pickled wonders mm-hmm. or the uh, creepy crawlies in the corners. Which one are you going to chow down on? Well, I will say that um, the more nutritious option actually seems to be insects to me. Really? Yeah. Well. Because you, although it's just insects as one category, it seems like you have a huge variety in terms of some of the um, nutritive mm-hmm. values that it possesses. Whereas the comfort level is definitely with fermented foods. Although I am not a fan of the pickle. I, I found this weird that you you don't like the pickles, oh, like no. anything pickled, anything like kimchi, pickled. Uh, no, not sauerkraut. Mm-mm. Huh? It's just you know, but I would probably get over that. Hmm. And in fact, in a post-apocalyptic scenario, I would probably go with both, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think that your chances of survival, you know, eating some cockroaches and some some uh, two years old sauerkraut is probably gonna. Yeah, in in reality, you'd want to go with up both. Your ability Unless to maybe exist. there's a genie here that is saying that you have to choose one or the other. I don't know. We didn't introduce that in the original question, no, so I'm no, not going to force it on everyone here and now. But I would I would tend to even knowing uh, what we know now, I would I would still probably go with the pickled contents. Of, would you? Yeah. I don't. I like plenty of pickled foods. I feel like there's there's a, a lot of diversity there in terms of the things that are pickled. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I could I could have some fish. I could have you know I could have some cabbage. I can I can get my uh, yeah my poisonous uh, shark and spread the sauerkraut <laughs> on it and put it on uh, 
Um, well, I wouldn't be able to put it on a bun uh, unless somebody has, has pickled buns. You can squeeze out the innards of the, the birds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give yeah. 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 So, yeah, I would I would have to go with the pickles, but 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 that's just me. And I I love German food, so there you go. Ah, uh, yeah. see. I think it all boils down to comfort level. Yeah. Um, we'd love to hear from you guys out there. What what would you pick if you had to? Bugs yeah. only or uh, sauerkraut essentially only? Yeah. Well, not just sauerkraut. And and we would like to know your experiences with eating odd or very normal pickled items. But your what's your uh, your approach to them? What's the weirdest pickled thing you've eaten? Um, or the weirdest pickled uh, or the most interesting uh, pickled uh, food item in your own culinary history? Um, and then what's your what are your experiences with eating bugs? Uh, uh, I like I say I myself have not uh, had the opportunity to eat that many insects. Um, I would, well, I guess I've, I always have the opportunity to eat them. They're there. <laughs> right um, now, I see a little fly over there, actually. Yeah, well, there's that. I mean, but, if you're. But in terms of actually uh, a, an actual culinary exploration of the insect world, I have not really pursued it. Uh, so I would love to hear from people who have. And on that note, uh, let's uh, ask the robot to bring us over some mail. Robot? Oh, there he is. Ah, oh, funny, funny. He brought you pickled herring. Now your mail is all wet with pickled herring. <laughs> Um, well, first, we had a couple of people to uh, point out um, that we recently did a sword episode, The Way of the Sword, where mm-hmm. we talked about the, the the history, the manufacture, and culture uh, of, of sword play and sword uh, sword smiths. And, uh, and like, the day that it published, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, Bob Anderson uh, died at the age of 89, the sword, uh, sword oh, fight teacher yeah. to the stars. Yeah. Which, and, uh, oh, that's right. He did uh, Star Wars and Princess Bride, right? Yeah, yeah, he was uh, a pupil of uh, Errol Flynn's. Uh, he also did like Lord of the Ring movies, and and he did Highlander. So everyone's favorite. Aces in your yeah. book, yeah. Well, no, a Highlander, you, you know, if you've ever been a, like a thirteen-year-old boy, you gotta love Highlander, even if, if most of it doesn't really hold up. You, know? you could probably be a thirteen-year-old girl too. Yeah, I guess you know Christopher Lambert. He was pretty pretty dreamy. Or uh, or Clancy Brown, if you like the you know gruffer. Type of guy, I guess you know. Fancy Clancy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. SpongeBob uh, voice now, or or has been for the last uh, however long SpongeBob's been on. Really? Yeah, Mr. Crab is, uh, or the, the the crab guy that owns the uh, the Krusty Crab uh, food place that SpongeBob works at. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, Clancy Brown, the Kurgan. Okay, so, yeah. we could probably do a whole episode on SpongeBob. I'm actually. just discovering SpongeBob. Um, I had never really watched it before, but there's no uh, you know Daily Show right now, so yeah, we've been, yeah. we've been watching other things, and so we've been watching episodes of SpongeBob, and it's uh, amazingly educational. And you know, actually, well, biologists created that show. Oh yeah, yeah, I forgot mm-hmm. about that. Um, well, so there you have it. Uh, if you have anything you would like to share with us. Um, things related to the podcast that we've discussed in the past or the or the more recent ones, uh, let us know. You can find us on Facebook as Stuff to Blow the Mind, and we our handle on Twitter is Blow the Mind. And you can always drop us a line at BlowTheMind at HowStuffWorks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow.